And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Brian Callahan. He works in family medicine as well as the emergency room. Uh, Dr. Brian, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. We've known you for quite a while here, the Elmendorf family, and uh, we appreciate um, the good medical attention you give to our community. Um, I have a concern today, and that is concerning um, how much the government gets involved um, with medical practice and sometimes gets almost in the way of good medical care. But before we get to that, can you describe um, some of the work that you do at a local multi-specialty healthcare group and and the ER? What, What kind of work do you do? There, there's two different uh, things. One is my primary office in Boyceville, New York, which is family medicine. And my other job is in the emergency room. And I divide my time up between the two of those locations. <laughs> and uh, if anybody knows you, they'll see you in your office and uh, then running between rooms and you have a lot of energy. And it doesn't surprise me that you fit well into the uh, emergency room environment. And um, you know, a doctor has to... Uh, have a very settled mind in order to handle emergency room cases and not uh, not get overly anxious. Uh, you see a lot of serious cases coming into the ER. Well, uh, Christ reassures us that uh, we are we can have a peace beyond understanding, and uh, that's the time you really want it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Oh my! Um, without uh, divulging anything uh, confidential, is there any? Particular situations you can think of where you looked at a at a medical case, whether in the office or ER, and you thought, "I don't know how I'm going to get through this," and and the Lord just brought you through. Um, that's actually a fairly consistent thing. You don't <laughs> always know how things are uh, are going to turn out. Um, I can think of one case in specific where I had this poor uh, young woman who was having a heart attack, and we were treating her with all the appropriate treatments, but it was really just the grace of God that uh, yeah. allowed her to pass through that unscathed. But uh, we literally watched her decline to the point where we weren't sure there was any way we were going to get her back. And uh, I, at that point, I had nothing to do with it. That was yeah. entirely in God's hands. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's uh, it's a heavy load that doctors and nurses uh, bear. Now, you have a doctorate in public health as well as a nurse practitioner, so you've seen a lot of, a lot of aspects of this. Um, before we go any further, what is a nurse practitioner exactly? A nurse practitioner is essentially um, an RN that's educated, usually at the master's, and now per, now it's actually uh, pretty much moving to the doctorate level, um, where you get additional education in the practice of, which is essentially medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it advanced nursing practice, but it's it's it pretty much the same thing. In, in family medicine, it would be the same thing as your family practice doctor would be doing. Yeah. So let's talk about... Um how the government gets involved. Maybe some of their involvement is good. I don't mean that that everything is bad, but are there good aspects to government involvement before we get to the bad aspects? Well, they they certainly regulate, you know, um, how and when and where. Um, and it does protect the public to a certain extent from you know the excesses of individual providers who could be excellent, but not necessarily. And you know, that's something you definitely want to uh, have some control over, and the government's pretty good about that. Um, but they also create an environment where the complexity of medicine has gotten to the point where the practice is one thing, and then the running of the business is another thing. And the the, the family, you know, the old Doc Baker from you know the old family uh, Little House in the Prairie model, mm. pretty much doesn't exist anymore because it becomes too complicated. 
dedicated to um, bill, to code, to you know, essentially get reimbursed for you know the services that you provide, and that creates a lot of large organizations that essentially assemble you know physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants under one roof, and they provide all of the um, the hard work that goes on behind the scenes, and so that the medical providers can essentially just focus on medicine, but at the same time you give up a lot of autonomy in that, and you um, these organizations are also excellent at. Um, knowing how the system works and the best way to extract the maximum amount of profit out of a system. And so you have a system where the healthcare costs continue to spiral out of control and nothing's being done about that at this point in time. So yeah. you have a very, very expensive medical system and that's creating a lot of havoc in the lives of individual people. Mm. I have a friend who just went through a mild stroke down in Maryland and uh, he's still in uh, rehab now. This happened maybe a couple of weeks ago. And he's worried about how am I going to pay for this? He's not sure how the insurance is going to cover, and he won't find out until like uh, in, you know three or four days from now. And so that that's a big concern that people have is how to cover the costs. And on the other side, you have uh, big insurance coming in and um, getting involved with government. Um, it, it's got to be a, a nightmare for a small town doctor in suppose somebody's not with one of these bigger organizations to do all that paperwork it seems like that in itself becomes a full-time job oh absolutely and that's the reason that the small town doctor is essentially becoming extinct at this point um yeah. there are a few exceptions um uh, there are a few nurse practitioners that started their own practice in the area, um, and there are, and in the area, there are a couple of physicians that are still around. But for the most part, people are essentially driven out of practice um, as individual providers and forced passively into these larger groups. Mm, yeah. Do you ever find the case where uh, somebody says, "Oh, forget it. <laughs> I'm fed up with all this insurance stuff." I just want to come in and pay cash. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, under Obamacare, that was um, one of the major consequences because giving away um, health care at the rate that Obamacare did, which, uh, which is a kind thing and, and, and clearly meant well, but without actually fixing the cost issues of the system created a lot of health insurances that are essentially worthless to patients. Um, they essentially yeah. have catastrophic plans. They come in with these incredibly high deductibles, and their decision is to buy these very expensive plans um, and have deductibles that could run multiple thousands of dollars. They'll never spend. Um, so they're essentially paying out of pocket anyway. So they, a lot of people uh. just ditch this entire system and come in and just pay cash. And wasn't there some kind of a penalty if you didn't go with Obamacare? And that's that is absolutely true. There, uh, I hope. I think at this point it's gone, but uh, up till this point, I think it was a substantial uh, tax penalty that you had to pay if you didn't sign up with the plan. And yet, people opted to do that because it was still less expensive to pay the tax penalty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that said, I mean, you know, if I want a service, um, suppose it's some kind of a cell phone service or something else, uh, I like the freedom being able to pay for it and get it or say, no, it's not for me. And and I think having control over your health care is, is, is kind of similar to that in some respects. Well, that's absolutely true, and that's one of the biggest problems is what you've done is you've separated the the uh, consumer from the producer of the, the product they're consuming. You're, uh, you're no longer 
paying your medical provider directly. You're not negotiating with them directly. Yeah. You're essentially um, withholding to these larger organizations that, you know, and between they and the insurance companies, set the cost. And the costs are quite absor- uh, exorbitant, um, especially as you know, if you look at other countries in the world. There, there is. I don't think you're going to find any place where you're going to find healthcare at, at the uh, expense level that you can find in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our healthcare. Overall, is very good here. I would think. No, yeah, it's absolutely true. We've created excellent care. The problem is the delivery. It's yeah. getting it to the individual person. We have great resources. We have phenomenal technology, but getting it to the individual patient at a, a cost that's reasonable and acceptable to the patient sometimes precludes them using these wonderful services that we have. Yeah, I think uh, for a for a patient coming in, um, they they want a doctor that is going to be listening to them and ministering to their to their needs and uh, without a lot of hassle. Um, do you ever find a case where somebody uh, needs a house call? Is that ever done nowadays? As a matter of fact, we do do those occasionally under certain circumstances mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the short answer is yes, but it's unusual. Yeah, right. And um, the larger umbrella that doctors are really forced to come under may not be quite so friendly to to house calls, I'm I'm thinking, but I don't want to suggest that answer. No, it's more of an issue of um, reimbursement, that, um, Uh, you know, it's more cost efficient to work in the office seeing patients every 15 minutes than it is to get in the car and drive and spend, you know, an hour, um, you know, between travel time and time at the patient's house. So it becomes less cost effective, and that's unfortunately the way the system kind of pushes people. Now, given that, there are still people that do it, and, you know, so it's not like it's completely uh, unheard of, but it's... Mm -hmm. The, the the system tends to push people away from that. Yeah. Um, what else have you observed about uh, uh, government involvement? What, and, and also, can we move in some directions that gives more um, patient freedom and less government involvement? Anything along that line come to mind? It's a difficult question to answer because the, what the government's essentially trying to do is ensure standardization of care. Um, in the prescription process, that's one area where you you really can't write a prescription unless you do it electronically. So you you have to ha- bear the cost of the overhead of an electronic prescribing system. So anybody who is going to go into family practice, you know, that has to be something that you know mm-hmm. they're going to do that autonomously individually. They're going to have to you know make sure that they have those resources. Then you're going to need your billing system. So the mm-hmm. government pretty much makes it very difficult to do business without those things. And yet there are t- um, certain organizations that try to work themselves around that outside of the, the standard government processes, but there's just not a lot of them. So there mm-hmm. are not a lot of providers that work in those in those systems. Yeah. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Brian Callahan. Uh, he works in family medicine as well as the ER, emergency room, at a hospital. You mentioned earlier one very difficult case you had, and it's by God's grace that this woman uh, survived a heart attack. Uh, are heart attacks? Uh, let, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, what are some of the most common ailments that you see in your practice? The the standard nine to five are mostly upper respiratory infections, um, and then the chronic illnesses: hypertension, diabetes, um, asthma. Those are the more common things that you see okay. on a daily basis in the emergency room. There's a lot of that too. A lot of infectious diseases, pneumonias. And you're a ski center, so you see a lot of orthopedic oh. injuries. And, oh yeah. And then after that, you see people who, uh, you know, strokes and the heart disease are, you know, your big followers, the ones that, uh, you know, keep you busy most of the day. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot of respiratory stuff going on. 
there is quite a bit of um, upper respiratory illnesses. Um, you have chronic illnesses like emphysema, but also the um, you know the more um, day to day that affects you know people of all ages like asthma. Now, uh, my own experience was uh, when I was younger, I didn't have asthma, and uh, I went to work for IBM. I was uh, under a lot of stress. <laughs> and probably minimal exercise. And then in those days, um, they allowed smoking in the workplace. I I never smoked, but I had to work right next to somebody that's smoking, and sometimes it was cigar. And that really bothered me. And that uh, we even had that in the hospital. That that was a a major issue up until the 1980s and early 90s when uh, smoking was pretty much – and you had ambulance ambulance crews would come into the emergency room, and they would smoke, and that was a pretty common occurrence. Sure, and – I hold to freedom of conscience, and I don't want to bind the conscience where God has left it free, but there's a good deal of common sense here, and and certainly a lot of science that says that breathing smoke into your lungs is not a very smart thing to do. We uh, have that conversation with people all the time, and the the standard line is, I'll bet you never heard this, but, you know, smoking is probably bad for you, and you may want to consider quitting. (laughs) And most people... Most people are considering um, yeah. why anybody would start at this point. I have no idea, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we deal with it on a regular basis. Right. Um, do you see a lot of um, people taking extra drugs that they don't need, put it that way? That's an interesting question because we rely on medications to solve problems, but for the most part, they take medicines they don't need because of lifestyle issues. If you take somebody who's got high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and heart disease, and you get them to lose weight, chances are they're only going to need a fraction of the medicines that they would if they did nothing to improve their lifestyle. You're talking straight to me right now. (laughs) Here I sit with my belly. Um, But I I do notice even even within less than 24 hours, if I eat less, I have more energy and I feel better. Even though I'm a little hungry at the time. <laughs> that That is a sacrifice we make in a country where you have access to so many choices in terms of yeah. food. Yeah. And I, another thing, we're talking about kind of personal stuff, but I noticed that uh, drinking water is really good and, and it kind of helps energize you and, and helps a lot. Absolutely. You want to avoid being dehydrated. Yeah. Now, I um, I provide some care for my dad, along with my brother and our spouses, and uh, you certainly know my dad. And um, I'll say, Dad, are you drinking enough water? He says, oh, yeah, I have it right here. And he'll point to uh, a bottle there with water in it. But I said, yes, but are you drinking it? <laughs> so it's it's really hard to remember to drink enough water, particularly as we get older absolutely true and as you get older you lose a lot of your subcutaneous fat you don't retain water as Ah. much as you used to so you're always in this very dry state anyway and then factor in um, a lot of elderly people have issues with incontinence so they're less likely to drink water as well so this is something we always have to encourage especially the elderly to make sure they stay well hydrated now uh, i i didn't know we were going to go into this but but regarding the incontinence um, that seems to kind of naturally happen as we get older, I guess. It's an artifact of a couple of different things. For men, it's about the prostate. Um, mm-hmm. For women, a lot of times it's about pregnancies. Um, you know, even a woman in her 30s and 40s who has had one or two pregnancies may have an issue with stress incontinence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, today we're talking about um, medicine and uh, the role of, of government, how we have seen an overreach of governmental authority into uh, the health practice. Can you think of another any other area where government kind of gets in the way from you 
doing your your good job that you want to do? That's an interesting question because we uh, the day to day. insurance issues that we deal with now are big drivers of what we can do and what we can't do. And a lot of times people choose not to take advantage of certain um, testing and um, diagnostics and even medications uh-huh. that they can't afford because of the insurance issues, that they're, the, the bind that they're in paying for their uh, their medicines and uh, paying for diagnostic testings. And we deal with it enough, at least a daily basis where somebody can't afford the medicines that they're um, prescribed or can't get the testing that's really required to keep them healthy. Hmm. You reminded me of something uh, years ago in the in the Kingston, New York area. There was a hospital um, that was uh, a Roman Catholic hospital, uh, Benedictine, mm-hmm. and I, I think since that's kind of combined and I, in in marketing terms, they kind of lost their branding, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what what would force a hospital like that to? not be able to carry out their original calling, uh, which was very spiritual in nature and also with medicine. That's an inside baseball question, and I can tell you from having worked with New York State, and I don't want to say it's overt or official, but the state of New York under the past several administrations has been fairly hostile towards Roman Catholic hospitals, especially over Uh the abortion issue. Um, One of the things that we knew about that was in the public was if we were going to close any hospital in Kingston, it would have had to have been Benedictine because the state would not allow a municipality to have only one hospital that didn't provide abortions. Well, you know, that to my wife and me, and and we're not Roman Catholic, that was a big attraction. And, And that's why we went to Benedictine Hospital to have the children uh, because we knew, okay, there is a place that values life. Absolutely true. And uh, unfortunately, and you'll hear this from a lot of people, secular as well as um, people of faith, that when we lost the the Benedictine sisters and the influence that they had over the hospital yes. system, we really lost something uh, dynamic that was important to us in this area. And it really is a reason where a lot of um, patients have sort of left the area and sought health care elsewise because of what's happened with that, what their their previous experience was. They, they came to expect something very specific, um, very caring from that hospital, and that it no longer exists. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, being in media, you're very sensitive to uh, the little tricks that media play. And uh, there was a recent episode on called The Midwife, and, and generally we, we like that program. But it was showing someone, uh, a lady that had gotten pregnant, uh, at a wedlock, and she she felt that she couldn't have the baby, and so uh, you know, being in the early '60s, um, it was uh, abortion was shunned, as it should be, by the way. But um, she she tried to do things herself and abort herself. She got in trouble, and underlying that whole thing is, of course, the idea: oh, we have to have quote safe abortions. Uh, is there anything such as a safe abortion? Well, not for the child that's getting aborted. <laughs> that's pretty much a guaranteed uh, yeah. lethality. But um, the argument is it's, it's compelling in the sense that you don't want to see something horrible happen to this poor woman. Right. But better that we provide her with the resources to um, make a better choice. And unfortunately, you live in a secular society where this is going to be um, – you know, it's going to be accepted, and those resources are always going to be provided, mm-hmm. and the argument's always going to be there. So, yeah. you know, and there are, there, it's a very, very complicated question. And it is. It, it, there's a lot of dimensions to it, um, yeah. and the concern that they, they put out there is legitimate. Women will try to self-abort, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of ways to do it. Um, and 
there are a lot of people that would be willing to help you do that too it, 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 with the internet it's it's amazing what people will try to walk you through right. um, it, it's 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 kind of scary but you know it'd be better if we lived in a society where we actually gave people real choices and uh, you know made it yes. made it easier for them to carry their babies to term and uh, not give them the uh, you know make them feel like they had to have an abortion yeah yeah and um the use of the ultrasound has been very helpful to moms to see uh, the child that they're carrying. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, today we're talking about family medicine and, and emergency room medicine and um, how the government often will overreach their boundaries. Uh, we've got maybe uh, four minutes left. Um, is there any advice that you would have as a health care provider to people uh, either for their own personal health or else regarding this whole area of uh, government involvement. One of the best things you can do is stay healthy. Mm. And one of the best ways you can do that is to take care of yourself. And then you'll need less resources to begin with. That's the first step is you take care of the, this temple, this body that God gave you, um, keeping yourself um, you know, fit. Don't, don't let yourself get overweight. Watch your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Watch your sugar. Things like that. Also, take responsibility. Um, when you have an issue you need to deal with, um, get involved. Don't wait for people to passively give you things. You know, don't come don't come to the office and just look for medicines as a solution to your problem. Also, realize that there's a lot you can do to make yourself healthier, and that uh, requires less less from us. Also, understand your medications. When you go to a doctor's office, you should know every medicine that you're on. You should know why you're taking it. You should also know why you shouldn't be taking it because sometimes people prescribe you medicines that you really don't need and if you don't need it or it could even potentially be dangerous you should be aware of that because the system is not perfect people are not perfect and the more you know the better off you are yeah and i'm thinking that sometimes uh, a medicine was prescribed maybe 20 years ago and it may have been a different doctor and uh, you know it's on the record and everything but it's hard to keep track of literally thousands of instances of of different types of medicines uh, when you come into your doctor's office certainly have a list of exactly what you take and uh, any information you can give the doctor all the better and and what about uh, also um, um, vitamins and minerals and extra supplements uh, are they good it's an interesting question because at some level, none of it's probably bad for you. They're, mm-hmm. The only bad for you is if you're spending a ridiculous amount of money to buy multiple vitamins and supplements that um, aren't yeah. going to do you any good. But as a general rule, most people get most of the nutrition they need from, from their diet. My wife has helped me uh, have some supplements, and I noticed that um, – here's just a personal thing uh, – that uh, CalMag uh, helps me personally because it kind of helps regulate my heartbeat. Oh, now that's interesting. Yeah, I, I've, I've observed that. And if I go a couple of days without my CalMag, my heart starts skipping beats. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in the last minute remaining, anything else you'd like to share as a nurse practitioner and a doctor of public health with our listeners? As a general rule, the most important thing in this climate or any climate is, again, take ownership of your health. Do everything you can to maintain your health at the greatest level you possibly can. Understand every medical problem that affects you. Understand your own medical history. Never rely on other people to be solely responsible for your health care because in this day and age, things happen to you because you're, you're passive, not because you're active. Mm. Well, that's good. And you're also a Christian, and that has um, helped you become uh, a better, more effective doctor, I would assume. 
I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate that. Today, our guest has been Dr. Brian Callahan, a family medicine practitioner, as well as the ER. And uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate it. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. The perfect wisdom of our God Reveal in all the universe All things created by His hand And held together at His command He knows the mysteries of the sea The secrets of the stars are His He guides the planets on their way And turns the earth through another day The matchless wisdom of His ways That mark the path of righteousness His word a lamp unto my feet His spirit teaching and guiding me And all the mystery of the cross That God should suffer for